We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. New England sending QB Jimmy Garoppolo to 49ers. We believe we found the right guy. Garoppolo, quick pass, caught by Kittle. He dives, and he's in. Touchdown, 49ers. Kittle is going to go. Touchdown. What is up, folks? Welcome to another week of Striking Gold, your 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Network. This week's episode is brought to you by our sponsor, Untuck It. Shirts that are actually designed to be worn untucked. My name, as always, is Rob Lauder. I cover the 49ers for NinersNation.com. Joining me tonight is my co-host, the quarterback of the Press Coverage Podcast, also on the Blue Wire Network, Eric freaking Crocker. How you feeling, brother? Feeling 9-1. 9-1. I know. I can't say you feel undefeated anymore, but you could definitely say you feel like a winner. Yeah, a winner. 9-1. I mean, who would have thought? Who would have hey, thought? back and I think I, I read earlier I mean it's just math but the 49ers are, are assured guaranteed a winning season for the first time since like Jim Harbaugh because Jim yeah. Harbaugh's last year they won eight and eight right so yeah. yeah so it's been a long time since the 49ers have been in this position and I feel like the team in its current state and Kyle Shanahan John Lynch and, and everybody within an organization like really earned it you know, like they have gone through a tough couple of years and suffered some really bad setbacks and had some really horrible injury luck. And now they are kind of reaping the rewards of some pretty good drafting, some pretty good free agent signings, you know, some better injury luck. And I mean, not to say they're not suffering a lot of injuries, but, you know, when you lose your quarterback, there's really not a team in this league that can survive that. So um, it's 
you know, it's it's been cool to see the 49ers benefit from from things finally coming together. And you know you're doing things right when like freezing cold takes is posting old tweets about how people hated the John Lynch hiring or Kyle Shanahan or what have you. So, you yeah, know, the he, 49ers are finally drawing some respect. Yeah, he's like sneaky, like executive of the year or something, right? Like he, he's got to be, you know, uh, up there with what he's done and, and the, the the whole roster turnover. And, I mean, a lot of people doubted him, especially going into this year. They say he was on a hot seat. And now it's looking like, I mean, you just look at the, the, the injuries that the 49ers have dealt with and how they've still been able to weather the storm. A lot, a lot of that has to do with how he has constructed this roster. And there were a lot of people that doubted him. And there's a lot of good people behind the scenes, right? Uh, Mayhew, uh, Peters, um, that, you know, work with him. But, yeah, he, he, he's done a great job. And I'm pretty sure he'll get a lot of love uh, coming into the season. Right, and that's a good point, the fact that they've built this roster out to be able to sustain. Anytime you can lose your starting left tackle, your starting right tackle, your starting star tight end, maybe like a top five player, top five to ten player in the NFL, you know, anytime you can lose these players and keep on winning, and yes, one of their losses did come while they didn't have George Kittle, but, you know, they've they've obviously shown that they have a roster that is built well enough to where they can endure these kinds of losses, and, you know, somebody like Ross Dwelly steps in and gets two touchdowns, that should have been three touchdowns. You know, it's a little hat tip to Kyle Shanahan and the fact that he can call plays uh, with the best of them. But at the same time, they've got players that are able to step in and, and do good things. And that's uh, more than a lot of teams can say. And uh, it's, it's, you know, the roster is by no means perfect. It can get a lot better. And that's always the idea. And, and, and they're coming up on a part of their tenure where, you know, players need to be re-signed and extended and, you know, money's going to start getting tight and it's going to become more difficult. And, you know, drafting is going to get even more important than it already has been. But still, the fact that they have taken what they were given, you know, from the Chip Kelly era and they've created a 9-1 and team is uh, – that's pretty impressive. Like, yeah. <laughs> just doesn't happen very often. You know, first winning season since 2013. And even though the 49ers are 9-1 – has there been a more uh, – what's the word I'm looking for? I mean, there, there's just so many question marks surrounding the 49ers, a, a team that's 9-1. Um, you know, I had someone ask me the other day, like, hey, are, are the 49ers for real? And it's like, man, I mean, I would hope so for a 9-1 team, but, I mean, there's still all these question marks that people have. They still um, – there's a big, you know, question mark, I guess, next to Jimmy Garoppolo. Um yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what people want the 49ers to do, but to me, 9-1 is 9-1. You, you know, you play who's on your schedule, and, you know, you just, throughout this season, you just continue to try to get better. And I I think that's what 49ers are doing. Big stretch coming up. Uh, next three teams, 8-2. and two. Uh, I think that's the first time in NFL history uh, a team has played, like, three straight games of, with teams of that type of winning percentage. So big, big games coming up. Right, and the, the thing I'm not really looking forward to, and I think every single – the 49ers are capable of beating every single one of the teams they're about to face. They're really capable of beating any team in the NFL, but, you know, it's, it, I can't wait to see how the narrative unravels. You know, you're either going to see this massive showing of respect for 49ers if they go 2-1 and one against the Green Bay Packers this Sunday. You have, you have the Green Bay Packers, Baltimore Ravens, New Orleans Saints. They're all teams that are basically going to the playoffs. Um you know, the 49ers are either going to earn a ton of respect, which to me they have already they already should have earned, but that's just not how it works with a lot of uh, people around the NFL. 
or you're going to have a lot of people saying, yeah, see, we told you they weren't for real. So, you know, it, you, it, it depends how they go, but it'll be interesting to see how the next few weeks unfold. Of course, as far as this week goes, uh, the 49ers just got done with a pretty impressive win over the Arizona Cardinals, who obviously are not anywhere near uh, one of the best teams in the NFL. Uh, they are probably just either a top 10 draft pick or just outside of the top 10 somewhere in there. And, but that's just, anybody knows that's just how division games roll. I mean, how many times were the Rams just horrible, but they would show up and either beat the 49ers, even when they were Super Bowl contenders, or they were at the very least would give the 49ers a game, you know, and, and that's just, that's just how division games work. So you can't necessarily look at those games like you would any other team. I was standing next to Eric Armstead in the locker room after the game. And he said, he basically said the same thing. He's like, dude, it's a division game. Like all the rules of, of who should beat who and, you know, thunder and team, whatever, all those go out the window when it's a division game, because you know each other so well, you play each other differently. The stakes are higher. It's, they're just different games. So the 49ers, um, Winning a close one, it, if you were to glance at the score and not have watched the game, you might not think it was that close, um, 36-26. But the 49ers were losing that game with 36 seconds left. So, you know, <laughs> right. it, 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 it wasn't what the score would have implied. It was a super exciting game. It was. And we you were know? next to each other for the, for the entirety of that game. So that was right. pretty good. Cool. Right, and, and he probably won't talk about it, or maybe he will, but – Eric Crocker got to come to his very first game as a member of the media, which was like almost a very, very small, like proud papa moment for me. Like, you know, to, <laughs> to meet him, meet him down there and, and show him the way up there. And, and, uh, you know, and, uh, Kyle, uh, who runs NinersNation.com, he has a seat next to me, but he can't make every game because he's based out of Arizona. So Crocker got to sit next to me and we just got to talk football the whole time. It was cool. I wish we could have been like recording a podcast during the game. Um, but you're really not supposed to talk that much. You can talk plenty, um, but it's kind of a working environment. So we could have been, couldn't have been sitting there chatting our, chatting ourselves off the whole time, but, um, it was cool. As much of a working environment as it was, like the excitement when Jimmy Garoppolo threw that game-winning touchdown, uh, that was pretty cool. To kind of, I kind of looked up and I saw everybody um, just kind of really excited, and it was almost like they were trying to keep their composure, but they couldn't help but you know kind of be excited by that that game-winning touchdown pass. Well, yeah, to me, it's the way I see it is one: I wouldn't be in this position I'm in now if I didn't start out a 49ers fan that's what got me into it so I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for that now as you go through you know I guess you could say as I slowly climbed the little media ladder whatever that is um you become a little it's not that you become less of a fan it's just that you really compartmentalize it and put it somewhere else because you kind of have a job to do but I think a lot of the people up there like me um, are either a fan of football, they're a, a fan of the 49ers. And when you spend so much time around an organization and you get to know the players and you're interviewing, interviewing them and you're talking to them and, you know, you're constantly, you want to see them succeed. You want to see them happy. You want to see them benefit from all the hard work you watch them put in. So it's, you know, I think a lot of that excitement in the press box just comes from being around these people constantly, you feel like you're a little bit invested. Whether you're a fan of the team or not, you still want to see these people succeed. And so it's cool to, to watch them go through that stuff. Um, you know, especially, like I said earlier, what they've gone through the past couple of years. It's, you know, it's cool to see everybody finally get to see the fruits of their reward because you always felt it. Like I always felt in that, in that locker room and, and listening to those players talk, they always knew, even when they were the number two overall pick, they always knew they had it. 
You know what I mean? It's it, they always knew they were close, and and I feel like they always had confidence in themselves. And you know, it's, it's been cool to see them finally develop into what they already thought they are. And it's kind of like that Bill Walsh saying, the the one you've heard a million times: the champions behave like champions before they're champions. And that really is how I felt like the 49ers were. Like even when people would make comments to me, like, "Man, 49ers are struggling," I'm like, "Yeah, but just give it a minute." You know what I mean? Just just wait a little bit. I always felt like they were they were just a few plays away. But probably one of the bigger storylines of the Cardinals game was Jimmy G again because Jimmy G set career highs last last time he faced the Cardinals two weeks ago. Um, he was over 300 yards and three touchdowns, I think, and and he managed to one up himself. And it was really kind of the Cardinals forcing Jimmy Garoppolo to step up because they were again just outstanding against the run. Um, it was a mix of them being outstanding against the run and the 49ers just being completely incapable of, of running the ball and clearing a lane or creating a lane. And uh, so Jimmy Garoppolo lit it up, and he's the third franchise quarterback, or, or at least he's the first franchise quarterback since Joe Montana and Steve Young to throw for over 400 yards. He threw for 424 yards and four touchdowns. Um, it was it was nuts. He was just going at it. And they weren't all these, you know, deep bombs and stuff like that. Um, it was mostly working like the short to intermediate level. But that was kind of the 49ers way of adapting to the fact that they couldn't run the ball. So they were essentially using the, the pass game to run the ball. They would, you know, it'd be either short, quick passes or screens or, you know, all this stuff to try to just get something going. Which is, is no fault of Jimmy Garoppolo. The fact that he's able to complete 75% of his passes and throw for that many yards. And, you know, and, and to me, it's like, yeah, his, both of his interceptions were, were 100% his fault, especially the one he threw directly to the Cardinals linebacker. I think his name's Jordan Hicks. Um, <laughs> yeah. He, it was almost like he was like looking through the linebacker. And it's like, yeah, Emmanuel Sanders would have been open if there wasn't a linebacker there. <laughs> right, right, right. He was Kendrick Bourne was open, but but there was this guy right there. So, you know what I mean? Like it was just, it was funny. But if you throw the ball that many times, you're gonna have interceptions. And if and you, that's what that's what Kyle said in the post game uh, interview, right? In the press conference, or you know, after the game on the podium, he talked about you know when you throw the ball that time that many times, you know, you you risk more opportunity for interceptions and and I, I like what he did with it with the you know the quick game short game um screen especially in the second half um getting the ball into juice's hand juice had what seven seven catches for 67 yards something like that yeah seven catches Cut. 63 yards and he oh seven targets right yeah he caught everything he was everything that was thrown his way he caught and he uh he almost had a score a couple times and i think i, I just watched his mic'd up right before he got yeah. here and he's like man i've never been stopped inside the five yard line so many times in my life like yeah, i was just gonna ask you if you if you uh, saw that this is mic'd up so the freaking best man it's so fun did you see when he and he told the the cardinals guy to watch the ball like i started yeah. Busting up, they drew him off uh, a neutral zone, and uh, and he looks over at him. He's like, "Hey, man, watch the ball!" Like, <laughs> so funny, man. Juice is the juice is hilarious. But so, yeah, see, one of, the play, one of the Cardinals players said, uh, "Hey, my favorite player is back," or something like that. When he, you know, he was talking about Juice. I think Suggs kept saying that because they were on the same team together, right? When, when oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I didn't even I didn't even put that together. Okay, that's yeah. right. 
So I think Suggs was just giving him some love. And, and uh, yeah, if you haven't seen it already, check it out. It's on the 49ers uh, YouTube channel and stuff. But And, and you also got to go back and watch Juice is mic'd up from training camp because we were even talking about that at the game. Like, Juice is just hilarious. Like, the stuff he says on in the game. And, and what's awesome about that video is go and watch the whole – um, like the end of the game when the 49ers are going on their game winning drive and when they score and, you know, when they force the fumble, run out the clock and then force another fumble to score at the very end, it, it's all in there. And it's just cool to see how the sideline reacted to that stuff. It's just. Seems like 49ers have a lot of good guys, right? Like there's got to be one bad apple. It can't just be this much like kumbaya. Everybody just loves each other. Like there's got to be some like, just a bad apple or some kind of turmoil in that locker room. They, like, there's got to be. Like, I know there's <laughs> no way everybody just gets along this much. And, and that's what it seems like, right? That, I mean, anytime you hear people talk and, um, you know, players talking about each other, it just seems like everybody gets along. But I know there just can't be. <laughs> well, yeah, I know that was a point of emphasis for Lynch and Shanahan. Like, they wanted to bring guys in there. And you can tell that, like – that is probably a good reason why they drafted like Solomon Thomas. You know what I mean? It, it, obviously it was, they probably felt he was going to do better than he's been doing, but at the same time, like they, he's a, he's a high character guy that, you know, they just love what he brings to the locker room type of deal. And you can tell they, they, they have everybody they bring in has that. Time. I mean, look at the Forrest Buckner. I mean, he's, he wasn't drafted by Lynch, but they like, they have so many of those guys that are like, 100% exactly what you want from a player. And, and especially in today's league, scouting the person is just as much as scouting the talent. You know, you could, you could scout a super talented player. That's just a, a cancer in the locker room and, and uh, you know, was going to get themselves in trouble. And then it doesn't matter how much talent they bring to the field. So, you know, shout out to them for creating that locker room, but even Emmanuel Sanders, when he showed up and, and, I guess a lot of players say this about where they get traded to. Like, of course, they're going to have good things to say. But he just seemed really taken back about on on how positive and how upbeat the 49ers locker room is. And I think he would have had that to say if he was traded to the 49ers last year. You know, even when they were losing, I still feel like he would have had the same things to say about the 49ers locker room. And that's kind of going back to what I said earlier. It's just they got themselves together. But on the – the not so positive side of things, the 49ers like cannot run the ball right now. Cannot run the ball. Which is you think? I mean, is it? I mean, I, we knew George Kittle the the impact. I, I mean, I feel like George Kittle is the best offensive player on the 49ers, and obviously he's a big part of the run game. He's a big part of the passing game, but just to see it, like what it is right now, is that a direct? Uh, is that just? Is that impact from? Not having George Kittle out there, I mean, averaging, I don't know what the average, but I know I looked at you at halftime, and I'm like, dude, we got like 12 yards rushing right now. Right. And <laughs> then they you only, look at the end of the game. Right. And then, and then what was it, like, maybe the first carry in the second half, it was for six yards, and I was like, dude, that was the longest carry of the game. <laughs> <laughs> right. And it, and it was. The, no, actually, excuse me, Jimmy Garofalo had the longest carry of the game, and he scrambled for seven yards. The 49ers ran for 30 four yards the whole game this is one of the best rushing offenses in the nfl and they still are even with this game they still rank second in the nfl in yards per game which tells you about how dominant they were before this game and they averaged 1.8 yards per carry and i've never heard kyle shanahan say this but and and shout out to matt miyoko for asking 
he basically admitted to completely abandoning the run game. I mean, it didn't take – you could see it in the way the game unfolded. But you rarely do you hear a head coach just say, yeah, we we just weren't going to run the ball anymore. It wasn't working. You know, like you don't, you just don't hear that very often. And basically admitting that one whole half of your, obstant, uh, your offense was completely failing, so you had to go just you – know, it's just not something you hear very often. It's just – Right. I mean, he and Bill were completely – he he went to a lot of um, empty formations, and I was like, "All right, let, let's go." And you know that's what people wanted to see, right? They wanted to see can Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, beat teams through the air, and you know Kyle was able to do it different ways with throwback screens, the big play to Richard James that kind of ignited the offense. Um, from there, you know, different short passes, screens, getting the ball in the to guys' hands, uh, screen the Debo late. I want to say maybe on that final drive where Debo picked up um, a good chunk of yards, you know, 10 to 12 yards or whatever it was. But just different ways to kind of move the the ball and have the passing game be an extension of the run game as well as hit some deep shots, right? Um, there were some – oh, I, want, I don't want to say deep shots, but there were some, you know, 15 to 20-yard throws in there as well mixed in. There were a lot of slants and things like that. But I, I just thought it was very uh, – it was good. It was good what they did. They were able to move the ball. They were able to get completions consistently. Uh, Jimmy G only threw 11 total uh, incompletions. Um, and that's not bad at all when you throw 45 passes. So um, very, very encouraging. And, and that just is just another way the 49ers have proven that they can win, right? They've had to win so many different ways. They've had the big run games. They've had the games now where they can't run at all. They've had the games where they had to lean on the defense to win the game for them. And this game here, 49ers had to overcome a 16-point deficit where they had, what, four total yards in the in the first quarter. And, you know, just to kind of be able to come back from that and not get down on themselves and not let the game get away from them and put together some drives, you know, one drive at a time, get the ball back after halftime, and, you know, just keep putting together scoring drives to be in the Arizona team where going into the game you feel like, yeah, they should win this game. But listening to Kyle Shanahan after the game, it was it was more so, hey, we had a short week. It was really hard to get that Seahawks game behind. This is his words. It was hard for uh, the team to kind of get that taste out of their mouth, get that loss to the Seahawks, you know, behind them. And he said the only way to get it behind you is to win the next game. And that was what they did. Right, and it's it's so emotionally draining to go through a game against your divisional rival that goes all the way through overtime. It comes down to the final seconds, and you don't win. You know, it's just so like disheartening, and it's something that's going to bug you for days and days after the game. I mean, it'll still bug them to this day, but you know, and to turn around on a short week, and you really only have like three or four days to pre- prepare before you know, essentially, the game's already here. And for them to come around, and that's three divisional games in a row. That's tough on a team. You know what I mean? That's Divisional games are, like I said earlier, are always more intense. They're more scrappy. They're more physical. They're, they're just better games. And for them to, to put aside three in a row, and for the last four years, they've lost to the Cardinals twice every year. So to go from losing to the Cardinals eight straight times to beating them twice in, in three weeks, it's pretty impressive. And then when you look at 
you know, add the Seahawks game in between that where they, you know, went five quarters and lost in the closing seconds of the game and they had so many opportunities to win it, you know, that to, to be able to overcome that and, and go out and beat the Cardinals two times in three weeks, that's impressive. It shows a lot about the fortitude of a team and what they're capable of enduring and, you know, picking each other up. And I think we're going to learn a lot more about the 49ers over the next three weeks when they face three, you know, playoff caliber opponents, the 49ers are basically getting to to play in the playoffs before the playoffs. You know, they're going to find out a lot about themselves and what they need to do because you know, they're almost assured a playoff spot at this point. They'd have to really, you know, really have uh, really struggle to not get playoffs at this point. And for them to have these three games ahead of them, it's going to, you know, it's going to help them a lot. It's like, you know, a pretest for a huge exam type of deal. But before we, before we keep going, we need to uh, really quickly give a shout out to our sponsor. Like I mentioned earlier, um, today's uh, key sponsor is Untuck It. And what they're all about is shirts that are meant to be worn untucked. Okay. So have you ever seen an untucked button down? They usually look bad. Why? Because they weren't meant to be worn untucked. Thankfully, there's Untuck It, the original button-down shirt actually designed to be worn untucked. No matter your size or shape, Untuck It shirts always fall at the perfect untucked length. And with your holidays near, there's no better gift for your favorite guy who needs an upgrade. With more than 50-plus fit combinations, Untucked shirts look great on tall, short, slim, and athletic guys of all ages. Um, I'm 6'1", 225, 230. Uh, I always, I have really long arms. I always have problems um, finding shirts that fit. That's why I always end up wearing dry fit all the time because I just really can't find anything else that I feel like is comfortable on me. But Untucked shirts have, have figured that out, you know, especially with me. My upper body is kind of a little bit bigger than my lower body. So I, uh, you know, it's hard to find a shirt that doesn't end up three inches short on my wrist. So untucked shirts have been good at that. I've got a couple of them already and I like them and I'm, I'm a pretty big critic when it comes to my shirts. So whether you're shopping for the perfect holiday gift or just trying to craft a smart, relaxed style of your own, untuck it is the way to go. Visit untuckit.com and use code blue for 20% off at checkout. That's untuckit.com and promo code blue for 20% off. All right, and another person that showed out against the Cardinals can't go on without mentioning Debo Samuel. Like, that man over the past two weeks has been as close to a number one receiver as you could want to get. And and what's encouraging about Debo Samuel is during this time is when Emmanuel Sanders was was struggling. He left in the first half of the game against the Seahawks um, because Sanders suffered a rib injury, and Debo stepped up. And over the past two games, he's just been a monster. Against the Cardinals, he caught, what is it, eight passes on ten targets. That tell you know ten targets that that tells you a lot about the relationship him and Jimmy Garoppolo are building for 134 yards that's 16.8 yards a catch he didn't get in the end zone but he was the 49ers go to guy Emmanuel Sanders did play but he was he was used very very sparingly um, because I, I have a feeling his rib injury wasn't quite where it should be and, oh, and yeah. he came, that, that that was clear though that was clear right he, every he, he would even take he was uh, like he, he looked like Frank Gore <laughs> out there every time he would get catch the ball it would take him forever to get up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. You know, he was in a lot of pain. And those ribs, I mean, I, I think, was it you telling me? It's like every time you breathe, it kind of just hurts. Right, just inflate. Like yeah, 
Right. Every time you, depending on how badly your ribs are hurt and how sensitive it is, just breathing can hurt because your ribs, you know, are meant to kind of move just a little bit. And, you know, when you breathe in your lungs and it puts pressure on your ribs, even that could hurt. So running around trying to play football while you're, you know, you know, breathing deep in and out and just taking hits and falling on the ground, everything hurts. The ribs are your core. You know what I mean? They're they're right in the middle of your body. So no matter what you're doing, it's going to hurt. So, I mean, kudos to Sanders for trying to get out there and play. But it was obvious that, you know, he he was just hurting. And I don't know if the 49ers or if, if he was pulled out of the game. I don't think – was he ever on a part of the injury report? Like, did they uh. ever say he was questionable return to the game? I just felt like he was in the game, but obviously he was playing limited snaps and he just – you know, you could just see it when he was catching. There was one diving, uh, like, like slant or, you know, kind of crossing ground he caught over the middle. And it just took him a long time to get up. And you could just tell he was hurting. So hopefully uh, he is good to go against the Packers. But you just, you know, that's a guy you want when you're pushing deep into the season and into the postseason. So they just need, need to be him. careful. About we we need him this game. Yeah, right. I, I think that, you know, especially if he's out there, you would like him and Debo out there, um, especially against guys like this, right? Because, you know, Jair Alexander, he's a really good cornerback for the Packers. Uh, this is his second season. And uh, Jair, really sticky. Now, he's kind of a lot like Marcus Peters, where I, I would say maybe a slightly better version. Like, he doesn't get distracted as much. But sometimes you could just tell he's not super locked in, and he can give up big plays. But... When he's locked in, man, he's he's good. And you would hate to have the only dependable outside guy, Debo Samuel, and Jair following him around when, you know, it's just you would like to have Emmanuel Sanders out there to kind of, you know, even to play and feel a little bit. And I think if if even if you have Jair, Jair Alexander guarding Emmanuel Sanders for an entire game, Debo will eat against Kevin King or whoever else they have guarding him. Debo, they're not good. They don't have a good pass defense. They have a good corner. Who was was it? Debo going? Was Debo? Were, Kevin King's not a rookie. He no, it's by his. I think he's the same class as uh, Keller Witherspoon. Who was going up against Kevin King during like the Senior Bowl or something? There was clips where somebody was just like eating his lunch, but I can't remember who it was. And it, and I don't think it was senior bowl because I think he came out. I think he came out early. Okay, there was something something he was at where I was watching him take reps, or maybe I'm just off base. Well, but. it could have been. It could have been. They. I want to say Washington that year possibly played Alabama in the college football playoffs, and that that could have been it. Maybe. Yeah, it, I can't remember. I thought it was like maybe I'm just thinking of somebody completely different. Um, but yeah, to your point, they they need, and I think that they're gonna get. George Kittle back for this game. The dude seems just, I, I ran, I saw him in the locker room. He seems like he's moving around extremely well. seems like from what I was reading, he was close to playing in this game, but the 49ers are like, nah, let's just, let's just hold off because like we were saying earlier, he's a, he's a top five, 10 player in the NFL, the, the four, a top two or three player on the 49ers roster. And, they need him going forward, so they shouldn't rush him out there. I feel like this will be the game where he comes back, though. If he doesn't, I'd be slightly surprised, but I could understand why the 49ers would play it soft with him. But, but like you're saying, 
they've got to get somebody for Alexander to, to occupy. And, and he's their, their go-to guy. And like I said, he was, he'll follow around whoever it is. They tell him to follow around. Um, he's that good. So if they can get Sanders out there and Debo's matched up against their next guy and you, and you can already tell Garoppolo has no problem throwing to him. Um, then that should be beneficial for the offense. And it's also going to be beneficial for the run game. And, and there's, there's two things going on right now with the run game. One, George Kittle is a huge part of it because George Kittle is an absolute animal in the run game. He's probably the best blocking tight end in the NFL. And he offers a lot to that run game. And whether he's block, he's capable of blocking defensive ends. I mean, I've seen plenty of videos of him blocking some of the best defensive ends in the NFL. So, you know, you're just losing another offensive lineman with somebody like George Kittle, in addition to the fact that he's a huge receiving threat. So the defense has to form differently when they know George Kittle's on the field and when, when he's in line and if he's uncovered, then they don't know he's a receiving threat. So they can't just come up and play play the run like they normally would when George Kittle's out. Now maybe Ross Dwelly is starting to command some respect and, you know, maybe, but uh, that's sort of a joke. I mean, he had a good game, but nobody's going to kind of look at Ross Dwelly like they do George Kittle. So keeping Sanders out there and getting Kittle back should open up the run game. I mean, I, I can, I don't have any hard stats in front of me, but I guarantee you the 49ers have faced more eight man boxes over the past three weeks than they have drastically more over the past three weeks than they have throughout the rest of the season. So just getting those Sanders getting a little bit more healthy, Debo commanding a little bit more respect, Kittle getting out there that drastically changes the dynamic of the offense, which should open up some more lanes for, um, for Tevin Coleman, Raheem Mostert. And it's, I I don't know if Matt Breed is going to come back. He's dealing with, he missed uh, the Cardinals while he deals with an ankle injury. It just depends. So, uh, it's it'll be interesting to see how how the offense kind of forms once George Kittle gets healthy. I mean, they it seems like they've take they've played it safe with him, especially uh, after reading that he wanted to play against the Cardinals. So for them to come away with that win, now they're going to go against the Packers. It's going to be at home again. Levi Stadium is going to be absolutely popping against the Packers. And what I'm interested to see is. Last time the 49ers came to Levi Stadium, that place was like maybe 45, 50% Packers fans. And now that the 49ers are 9 and 1, I'm interested to see how how much that ratio changes uh because I distinctly remember a go pack go chant uh throughout Levi Stadium towards the end of that game when they all realized they were going to win. So Hopefully, I mean, obviously, it's a completely different season. 49ers are winning. They're, you know, it, it, it should be way different, but it's Sunday night football. One of the best, you know, nights for football. I like Sunday night football better than I like Monday night football. It's just. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, just the traffic and all of that, too. I mean, especially in the Bay Area. I mean, that traffic is crazy. So, Monday night football in the Bay. Um, I mean, it's just a little bit more difficult. People getting off of work. I was I was surprised to see how how crazy the the you know pack the stadium was at the start of the game against Seattle and I know that you know the faithful are going to show up even more uh, on for a Sunday night game against uh, Green Bay right and it, it, the the 49ers fan base has been really impressive this year and that and that's to no fault of their own but this happens when a team wins when the team puts together a product that's worth going and seeing and worth expending your energy and cheering and yelling on every third down and every, you know it's it's up to a team to 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 help I'm how am I trying to say this here it's 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 on the team to bring out that type of energy from a fan base 
and the 49ers have done that this year. The fans have responded when Jeff Wilson Jr. caught that little arrow route from Jimmy Garoppolo and, and darted in, you know, that 26 yards into the end zone. That place went nuts. And that was the 49ers taking the lead with like 36 seconds left. And if there's anything- I have a take on that play too. I have a take on that. Well, take it, man. Let's go. Let's hear it. <laughs> All right. So um, I was looking at that play, right? And if, if you watch it again, especially from like a, a view of like from the end zone view, that ball was high and behind. Now, it was high and behind because there was somebody in Jimmy Garoppolo's face. Um, he had like a free runner right there. So Jimmy Garoppolo had to get it out of his hands and did that thing where he kind of like turns his back to, you know, to kind of take away some of the, the blow, uh, the the hit. Well, the ball was kind of high and behind. And Wilson down there like grabbed it with like one hand, right? Right. Sometimes, and, and this has happened with a lot – so far, you know, like four times for the, for Jimmy Garoppolo this year, he's had four interceptions, four interceptions off of guys' hands. Sometimes you just need a guy to make a play for you. And we saw Debo Samuel do it early in the game on that sideline, that crazy sideline catch downfield. Um, and we saw it there to win the game where that could have easily been a play where Jeff Wilson reaches up, is high and behind him a little bit. He tips the ball in the air and is intercepted, and the 49ers lose the game. And everybody's blaming Jimmy Garoppolo. But instead, he got a guy that made a play for him. And sometimes that's what you need. We saw it uh, what, a Monday night with Kendrick Bourne. The ball was a little bit high. Jimmy Garoppolo was getting pressured. Uh, he had a guy coming right off of the left edge. And he threw it a little high. But it's just like, hey, Bourne, just make, make the play for your guy. Make the play. And that was what Jeff Wilson did. So that was one thing. It, it kind of went I, – I just watched it again. I'm like, man, that could have easily been a tipped interception. But instead, he had a guy make a play. And when teams have playmakers, you're you're less likely to see those type of things happen. When teams have go-to guys, you're less likely to see those type of things happen. And right there, it didn't happen because Jeff Wilson, he just made a play. Right. And I, and I think – I can't. I read this quote somewhere, but when Jimmy Garoppolo threw that ball, given the free rusher in his face and the way the defensive lineman had kind of collapsed the pocket, I'm pretty sure Jimmy Garoppolo could not see Jeff Wilson when he threw that. They had practiced that play throughout the week, and Jimmy Garoppolo knew right about where Jeff Wilson was supposed to be. He probably saw him. He maybe saw him break. And then, but I, I, I distinctly remember reading, and I can't remember where I read it. If any of you guys have, you know, have read that, hit me up on Twitter. Let me know where I, I'm reading this. But Jimmy Garoppolo threw that ball, and he could not see Jeff Wilson. He just knew where Jeff Wilson was supposed to be. And so much of Kyle Shanahan's offense is about throwing to a spot and knowing where a guy's supposed to be at a very specific moment in that play. So Jimmy Garoppolo knew where Wilson was supposed to be, and he threw it. And like Crocker said, it was like if you're running to the left. It was right behind his head, like right in the gap created by your shoulder and your head. And Jeff Wilson saw it and kind of just trapped it really quickly against his, like the side of his head it almost looked like, and and brought it down and took off. And that dude was, I, I posted on Twitter that there were so many things to like about that play because Jimmy Garoppolo, I don't think the play is designed for him to drop back. It's such a short route and a short pass. I'm pretty sure that's just a catch the snap snap, set your feet, throw the ball type of play. But Jimmy Garoppolo dropped back because he saw the pressure coming and he knew he had to create space. Otherwise, he was just going to get hit and sacked. 
So he dropped back, threw it right over the guy, the free rusher coming right at him, threw it to where he expected Wilson to be. Wilson caught it. Wilson took off, and Wilson's not necessarily – I think he's actually still pretty fast as far as workouts go, but he was flying. And what's funny is Jeff Wilson's known for his – at least with the 49ers for his physicality. He, for a little bit there, towards the beginning of the season, was the 49ers goal line back. You know, when you're yard or two out, give it to this guy because he's going to pound his way in. He had that ball and he was just moving. And I was just, when I was watching that play, I was picturing if maybe one uh, one or two of those Arizona Cardinals players at the goal line were just one or two steps ahead and they actually met him at the goal line because I would have just loved to have seen what he <laughs> would have done to that player. Because oh, he ran through him. I don't care if it was Terrell Suggs. Chandler Jones, nobody was stopping that guy from getting in. He's not a big guy either. I mean, he he. I, from what I understand, he kind of added some weight this offseason. But, I mean, he was running hard from the time he got with the 49ers. And the crazy thing is, I want to say he was like 195 pounds at his pro day or something like that. Like, he's not like a – naturally not a big guy, but he just runs extremely hard. And there are a lot of people like that, right, that they're not really big, but they run – they run really hard. One thing I want to touch on with uh, another thing about that play was where you talked about how Jimmy Garoppolo couldn't see him. And and then I also read something about how uh, Wilson couldn't see Garoppolo. Right, yeah, it went both ways. Right. Now, that kind of goes back to what I was saying last week, right, where when you have to expect someone to be where they, they are supposed to be. And I said it with, like, you know, a tight end like Ross Dwelly. Where, okay, that's not George Kittle. George Kittle knows, okay, I can't go in back of this guy. I got to go in front of it because Jimmy Garoppolo is expecting me to be at a certain point, and Jimmy Garoppolo is going to let the ball go, expecting me to be where I'm supposed to be. And when you're not, Jimmy Garoppolo looks foolish. So that was another situation there where if Wilson isn't where he's supposed to be and how the play was drawn up, then how crazy would Jimmy Garoppolo look? Because that ball was going to that spot no matter what. Well, what's interesting, too, is that that was Wilson's first snap of the game. And what that tells me is that the 49ers have probably had all of their running backs run that same exact play. And whatever Jeff Wilson does about whether it's in that route or his movements, it's what Kyle Shanahan wants. There's really all of the 49ers running backs can catch pretty well. There's there's nothing about. Jeff Wilson, that especially in a passing play that separates himself from the group, maybe what they do like is that if there was one running back that a defense would expect you to pass to the least, it would be Jeff Wilson. So maybe they like the surprise element of that, but they probably thought Wilson was going to pass protect on that play. And that tell it just it just tells me the way everything's been said about that play that something Wilson has done in practice made him the most dependable back for that play and and that's the only way you're going to put a guy in with the game on the line with 34 seconds left that's not been in in the, any of the rest of the game for all four quarters but he comes in with 34 seconds left something you know whatever he did in practice earned him that snap and it was just cool to see it all come together he took advantage of it so he had a full set of steam and then his celebration was just like perfect like it was it was just he was like he was amped. like the dude just like he didn't even care what he was doing. He wasn't doing a dance. He, he was just like <laughs> just going nuts because he was, he was just, yeah. At, he's uh, probably never been that exhilarated in his life. 
<laughs> that was probably the most exciting and exhilarating moment of his life. And he just freaking let it all out. It was just cool to watch, man. It's, you know, coaching football, you know the passion that comes with it and what it means to, to succeed and, 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 and put together a play that you've practiced for and worked for. And, you know, you, you strive for those moments. And that was his moment. And he just let it all out. It was, it was, it was just freaking awesome, man. It was cool. And, uh, and I think it was either his birthday or the day after his birthday or, or, you know, there was just so many things about that play that were super unique and uh, just fun to watch. And then obviously the rest of the game was just nuts. There was, you know, Demontre Moore, who, who is replacing Ronald Blair, who tore his ACL on, on the very next drive hits Keyshawn Johnson, who is from my alma mater, Fresno state, who has Keyshawn even came to a, a Kasner football, the, the school I coach for, he came and watched, one of our games last year and brought some of his gloves and gave them to one of my players. And, and then Demontre Moore, who was, you know, a couple weeks ago was at home playing with his kid. And now he's create, you know, uh, putting the game away by hitting Keyshawn Johnson, causing the sack. And the whole end of that game was so nuts. I mean, I'm not a big betting guy, but the fact that how that game ended with the, with Larry Fitzgerald trying to keep the play going, throwing it backwards, uh, I can't remember who the offensive lineman was that caught it on the ground, and it probably should have been downed right there, but he just chucks it backwards. Yeah, <laughs> and, that was wild. And DJ Reed picks it up and runs it in the end zone, and it actually – the spread was either – depending on who you bet with, the spread was either 9, 9.5, or 10, and that put the 49ers up by 10, which either made people lose or, or, or wash or whatever. <laughs> It was just right. so weird, man. We're just sitting there watching this game like what is happening? So it was it was cool, but moving on, the 49ers now have like we've already said the Packers on Sunday night football and the Packers are rolling. The Packers are coming off a bye week. I feel like the 49ers are always getting teams off their bye week. Um but it should be a pretty good game. The Packers are 8 and 2. They're no slouch. Their game, the, the last game they played was against the Carolina Panthers, and which came down to like, if, if I remember correctly, came down to like the end of the game. The Panthers, I think, had a chance to win it. Maybe they were going, doing a game-winning drive. I can't remember how it all happened. Um, but the the Packers beat the Panthers 24-16. to And obviously, if you remember when the 49ers played the Panthers, they absolutely destroyed them. But that doesn't mean that the 49ers are going to destroy the pan, the, the Packers. It's just never how football game works. That's like what they call football math. Like, oh, well, this team beat this team really badly. And this team, you know, had a really good game against this team. So that means the 49ers should beat the Packers really, really bad. It doesn't ever work like that. Every game is different. Especially when you give a guy like Aaron Rodgers uh, a bye week to prepare. and Because he's like another coach out there as far as watching film and figuring out what he wants to do against the defense. And, and so it should be a really good game. And, and, you know, I mentioned Keyshawn Johnson earlier being from Fresno State. Obviously, the Packers have one of the best players to ever come out of Fresno State in Devontae Adams, who has just developed into one of the best receivers in the NFL. Like I would say right. he's, he's, he's a top 10 receiver for sure. I know there's plenty of people around the Twitter sphere that think he's like a top five. He's just a super smooth athlete. Uh, what's funny is he works with Dub Williams. So Dub Dub Williams, uh, his name's Keith Williams. We call him Dub. Um, he, he's a receiver coach. He's actually from Stockton. He, he actually went to the uh, high school where I coach. I coach at Edison high school. Um, he went there. I mean, obviously he's much older now, but um, he's a he's a receiver trainer. He's been he's coached at like Nebraska as a receiver coach, but 
He has he trains like Kenny Stills. He trains Devontae Adams. He, he trains Tariq uh, Hill. Um, he trains a bunch of receivers. And Devontae has been one of the guys that has, work, that has worked with him consistently. And if you watch Devontae Adams, you know, it's not like he's like a blazer or anything like that. But he just does a lot of the little things very well. And a lot of that has to do with Coach uh, Keith Williams working with him every offseason, getting him right. Right, and Devontae Adams has gone through his own struggles. I think it was his first – he had a really good rookie year, and then his second year is when he, when he had a lot of drops. He had a lot of problems. He developed a reputation for, for that sort of thing. And ever since then, it's, it's like he almost took offense to it, and he's just been an animal. And the guy's just I, – I watched him all three years at Fresno State dominate. Him and Derek Carr were just – you know, it was completely – they won the Mountain West, and they were a nationally ranked team. And it was just so much fun to watch. But Devontae Adams is just one of my favorite receivers to watch. And it's not even it has nothing to do with the fact that he came from Fresno State. He just has a very unique way of playing the position. He understands body movement and manipulation of, of a cornerback just as well as almost any any receiver I've seen work. And and he has just a knack for making for creating just enough separation. To make a play, like he, he, he reminds me a lot of Stevie Johnson. Uh, I don't know if you remember Stevie Johnson. Right, but there, it's like, there was it's like one a basketball time, version of football. Yeah, when I was uh, when I was with the Jets, so this 2013, I was doing one on ones with uh, with Stevie Johnson, and that was like the most frustrating day ever because it was like he he couldn't outrun me. He wasn't faster than me, but everything I did, he had a counter for. He was extremely patient, and he just had a counter. And then when I was patient, he would just go. And I mean, he just had a counter for every single thing I did. And that reminds me of Devontae Adams. And that's something our cornerbacks have to be ready for. You know, it's going to be a big chess match. And then on top of being, a, you know, having a chess match with the receiver, the quarterback is on the same page as him. So right when you think like, oh, I got him, I got him, whoop, the ball's in there, and it's a, it's a completion. So that's going to be a challenge for the 49ers, um, just covering him and. You know, I, I think uh, I'm interested to see how, you know, when he lines up on the right side against uh, Richard Sherman, how does he do against him um, when he lines up on the left side? You know, I, you know, hey, I, I meant to ask Kyle Shanahan, but he has said that Akilah Witherspoon was going to get that starting spot back in. Mosley still started, and he played well. So, you know, it looks like we probably will see Mosley again out there starting again. Um well, That's he, something did, to he watch. did say that that Mosley had to, or excuse me, that Witherspoon had to put together three good practices, which is kind of weird. I don't know if he means three good practices, like he's balling out and, and picking off Jimmy Garoppolo, or does he mean three good practices, <laughs> like he's he's over his injury and he, he's not sore? You know what That's I mean? That's what I thought. That, I, I thought it was just him being on the field and practicing um, for three straight days, and it's like, okay, he looks good. So now you know he's. He looks good and he can play. That, that's what I was assuming. But um, seeing Mosley trot out there with the starters, maybe it was the latter. It was the one where, like you said, the first thing you said, which uh, maybe he just needs the ball in practice. Um, I don't know. That's It's kind of a weird thing. But Well, even Richard Sherman said in a press conference, like, you know, he seemed like, I don't know if he was trying to drop a hint. But he basically said, like, well, you can't lose your stop, starting job to injuries. So, you know, we're looking forward to getting Witherspoon back. And I, I don't know if, if that was him saying he didn't necessarily agree with what was about to happen and the fact that Emmanuel Mosley was – you know what I mean? It just seemed a little weirdly said, almost like it was a, a hint or something. You know, I might be reading way too much into this because Richard Sherman's a pretty straightforward guy. But 
uh, it, it's just, I don't know. I, Emmanuel Mosley has been playing so well. I feel like he's earned to be considered for that starting job, but Witherspoon was playing at such a high level before he got hurt. You know, you'd hate to, it's just a tough situation for the Niners because you don't want to disrupt the way things are going. You don't want to bench Emmanuel Mosley with how he's playing because he's earned the starting job, but so did Witherspoon. It's, it's, they're in a tough spot right now because they have two guys who have basically earned that role. Neither of them done anything wrong other than Witherspoon getting hurt. So, that's just kind of a tough dance for, for the coaching staff to to monitor. But at the very least, it's a good problem to have, you know, when you have two great players competing for a job. And at the very least, they know if somebody's struggling, somebody has a horrible first half or a horrible game, they know that they've got a guy that can step in their next game and, and, and be just fine. So it'll be interesting to see how they handle that. Now, another player they need to worry about outside of Devontae Adams, obviously Aaron Rodgers is a constant. You know what he's going to bring. He's not nearly as mobile as, as like Kyler Murray or Russell Wilson, who have been, I wouldn't say having their way with the 49ers, but they, those two guys had a ton of success against the Niners over the past few weeks. So I feel like they offer good experience for Aaron Rodgers, but Aaron Rodgers isn't nearly as mobile as those two guys. And if he is moving around, he's looking to throw because everybody has seen a million and a half of those Aaron Rodgers type plays where he moves a pocket. He scrambles all over the place. A receiver gets open inevitably because DBs can't cover that long. It's not, you know, that's just how it works. And he slings it downfield, makes an incredible play. So I guess you could say that the, that Kyler Murray and Russell Wilson have, have kind of groomed the 49ers to be able to better handle Aaron Rodgers, but the 49ers haven't shown that they can handle a mobile quarterback very well. But in addition to Devonte Adams is Aaron Jones. And if there's one thing the 49ers defense is not doing well right now, it's stopping the run. They are averaging giving up 110 rush yards a game, which is 20th in the league. So they're a bottom half defense when it comes to stopping the run, but they are a, they're first in the league when it comes to pass yards. And I feel like, Green Bay is probably still a pass-first offense, just given Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams, and everything they try to do. I think by nature. I mean, I think like when you have A-Rod, I think that's what you want to do. But going off of who their head coach is, who's probably their play caller as well, um, he's coming from like the McVay and Shanahan tree, right? Right, yeah. I I think a lot of what they were doing and what uh, A-Rod – kind of there was a little bit of pushback with is he's more on the center. He's more, you know, the play action, deep shots and things like that. And I think that took some getting used to. I think they're starting to click with with it. But now they are leaning a little bit more towards the run. And I, I think they're top five in passing and rushing the ball. So Aaron Jones, he's definitely somebody that can beat you. I mean, if you watch the game against the Dallas Cowboys, he killed the Cowboys. I think he had four touchdowns that game or something well, like that. Yeah, he's already crazy. got 11 this season, which most running backs don't even touch 11 touchdowns after full 16 games. So for him to only be 10 games in and already have 11 touchdowns, that's pretty impressive. Um, and the and the 49ers are giving up, giving it up on the ground. And like just to the card, every time they've played the Cardinals, they've struggled against the run. They gave up an average of 5.4 yards per carry. That includes Kyler, Kyler Murray's eight carries for 67 yards. Kenyon Drake had 16 for 67. Um, so it's, they haven't been great against the run and they're going to need to be good against the run against the Packers because they can do both. You can't, just yeah, you can't let, you can't let them be able to do both against right. you. you. You have to make them do one thing. Um, 
as well as the 49ers defend the pass, and this probably sounds crazy, I would make Aaron Rodgers have to beat me. Because if you do that, you load the box and you make A-Rod have to beat you, um, at least then your defensive linemen start to pin their ears back and they can go get them. And and I think that would probably, which sounds crazy. <laughs> but Aaron Rodgers will beat think, you. You want you do Aaron Rodgers to beat you and he'll just beat you. But at the same time, I agree with you in the fact that that's the 49 right. strength of your team. You're, you're saying, okay, if as the the stronger the chance that those defensive linemen know Aaron Rodgers is dropping back, the stronger the chance is for them to sack him. Now that seems obvious, like oh, he's passing, of course. But it's 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 a matter of those defensive linemen reading less and just rolling. And it, it looks like they're probably not going to have D Ford, who hurt his hamstring, but the. D Ford, I mean, he's having a good season, but he's not the driving force behind that defensive line. They've still got Eric Armstead, who's playing out of his mind, DeForest Buckner, Nick Bosa. And, you know, I'm assuming Demontre Moore is going to get a lot of action there. We'll see if DJ Jones comes back, who's pretty solid in the middle. He's not necessarily a pass rush guy. D Ford hurts because you don't have Blair. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. The 49ers would have said, eh, well, we'll give Ronald Blair a lot more playing time. Well, Ronald Blair tore his ACL against the against the Seahawks. He actually did it sacking Russell Wilson, you know, which going out in a blaze of glory. But it's, uh, I, I, I still feel like even with the loss of not having D Ford, and even if the with the loss of Ronald Blair, I still feel like the 49ers are going to have a lot of faith in their defensive line. I don't know. I could probably get to it pretty, pretty quickly. But I don't know how the – Packers offensive line has been this season. Um, I know that they've always kind of struggled, but at the same time, I know they're pretty good on the tackle department. So it, it'll be an interesting thing, but I, I do agree with you in the fact that the the 49ers are going to want them to throw because at that point, they're one of the best pass defenses in the NFL. They trust their defensive backs. They trust their corners. They trust uh, the pass rush to get home, and that's what they want to happen. So if if they can stop Aaron Jones, and the 49ers just need to improve against the run period, that should be the focus of, of their practices, so to speak, um, just because that's the only part of, of any anything that's gashed them so far this year. So – that's kind of just what the – okay, I finally got to it. Okay, Bakhtiari is having a good season. This is all for pro, pro, pro football focus. I like to look at this just because, you know, they're just another analyst's opinion. Um, but Bosa, Buckner, and Armstead, and obviously Ford's on here, but he's not going to play. They drastically outweigh the offensive line in terms of production. Every single one of the 49ers defensive linemen are pretty much at an 80 and above. DeFork, Buckner is just a little bit below that. And then you have – Basically, the entire offensive line is basically a 70 and below. So that's just a very, very surface-level snapshot of kind of who you would expect to be able to have success. And and the 49ers defensive line has had a lot of success against almost everybody this year. So uh, I know they have some type of – and I'd have to go back and look at it. They have some type of record going with the amount of consecutive games they put together with at least three sacks. And I think they had four against Kyler Murray. So – they're in a good place, and I, I, like I said, I'm, I'm agreeing with you in the fact that they, they need to just lock down that run game, focus on that, and make Aaron Rodgers do the stuff he does because he's not without mistakes. And I'm not just – I'm really not impressed with anybody on that Packers receiving core outside of Devontae Adams. Geronimo Allison is, is whatever. Jimmy Graham's a shell of what he used to be. And then you have like Lazard or whoever's playing on the other end. 
Valdez, Scantling. There's there's not a whole lot of talent there. Really, the the biggest person they need to worry about is Devontae Adams. And forcing them to throw just kind of plays into the 49ers' strengths on defense. But, I mean, that's pretty much it, man. We covered the Cardinals. Yeah. We covered the Packers. You got any closing thoughts, bro? Anything else that's just in that head that you haven't gotten to talk about? Nah, man, just, like I said, make Aaron Rodgers beat you, which he can, but that's that would be strength versus strength, and that's – that's the 49ers strength. You just got to make them one-dimensional. And I, I think that's the plan going into most games. You want to make teams one-dimensional. Um, that's even more so uh, important for this game. 49ers, man, you you got to – you got you can't let them have their way on the ground and then uh, A-Rod start to uh, do those deep play-action dropbacks because, you know, that's a – their offense is it, – it's, it's a lot of what the 49ers want to do, right? And the 49ers haven't been able to run, so we haven't been able to get those deep play-action drop-back uh, shots. But, uh, you know, A-Rod, he, he's really good at those things, man, and, and you can't slip. And, I mean, damn, you can't even get caught subbing guys on the field on third down because he'll – or on any down because he'll hurry the Packers up to the line of scrimmage, hike the ball, and you'll have 12 men on the field, man. So you just got to be on, on – you know, cross your eyes, dot your, cross your T's, dot your I's. Um, be on your P's and Q's, man, and, and be ready to play some football. You got to play every second of that game and play every inch of blade of grass. Um, because if you don't, he'll get you. We saw it last year, right? I mean, go back, man. The 49ers took, took them down to the wire, gave them everything they, everything they can handle with C.J. Beathard. And I thought, you know, the 49ers had them on the ropes. It was a really good game, but at the end of the day, they didn't cover every inch of blade, every inch of that that grass, man. And you had a uh, Greg Maven yeah. guarding guys he shouldn't have been guarding. He shouldn't have just been, not be on the field. Um, actually, uh, Jimmy Ward was playing well that game. He got hurt, so uh, Maven came in for him and played. And you saw what happened. And, and that's how that's how A Rod can beat you. And right now, 49ers are nine and one. And if I had to guess, I would say 49ers are the favorites. I don't. I'm looking. I'm picking up the. Fortnite is a favorite by three. So basically that means if it's a neutral site, they think this is a very Yeah, they always game. give the home team three points. <laughs> so that basically is saying that, that it's a toss-up. And they those three those three points are coming from the 49ers at home. So it's it's definitely uh, I feel I feel like Seattle Seahawks are maybe a little bit better of a team than the Packers. It's just the Seattle Seahawks have that weird magic going for them where they just win games that they probably shouldn't win. But this this may be the best team the 49ers have faced all season. It, it's tough to say. The Packers have, have lost some weird games. Their two losses have been pretty weird. But at the same time, they're the Packers, and it's Aaron Rodgers. They're going to find a way, and they're going to make you pay if you make mistakes, especially these. he's been around for everything. But this is an entirely different team, but the 49ers have always had the Packers' number. And, and obviously they've lost a couple close ones past couple of years, but uh, there were so many extenuating circumstances to those games. It's hard to count them, but the 49ers have played some very tough, very competitive games with the Packers over the past four or five years, you know, going back to when the 49ers were competitive. And I feel like the 49ers have always given the Packers all they can handle. So we'll see how this one goes down. You know, I feel like it'll be another classic prime time. Uh, if you don't remember the 49ers were supposed to play the Packers during the afternoon, and it was flexed to prime time. So, you know, hopefully we'll see a matchup befitting prime time, whether that's in favor of the 49ers Packers. We'll see. Um, hey, Cardinal, uh, real quick, Chargers, Chargers just beat the Packers. Right. So, that's what I mean. And, you know, I mean they just, 
Yeah, they shut they shut the Packers down. The Packers had eleven points that game, so gotta look at that film. And I mean, obviously they will see you know what they do and kind of you know create your own game plan off of that. But there is a blueprint out there to to beat them. Now, is there a blueprint to beat the Niners? I don't know because they've won every type of way. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, I guess, oh, they do have those defensive ends, the Smith brothers. They they can kind of take over a game, and 49ers can't right, let that happen. Right, What's his name? Z- Zadarius Smith, I think his name is. And he's, he has, like, Zadarius yeah, he's, and Right, Preston. Zadarius playing, like, one of the best pass rushers in the NFL right now. So that's a good point. But yeah. we're, well, we're, uh, we're crossing over the hour mark. So this is one of our trademark longer episodes from, from – from me and Croc. Uh, so if you're still listening, you've gotten all the way to this point. You've tolerated our, our, our rants and raves at this point. I appreciate you for sticking around. We've gotten a lot of positive comments from people who have listened this long. They hear us say this stuff and they're like, no, we love the longer episodes. It's awesome. I appreciate that. I'm not sure Kevin, uh, you know, founder of a blue wire and, and creator of the, the striking gold podcast. I'm not sure he cares. Obviously he cares about all the positive feedback, but they, but they know what they're doing up there and they want all our episodes to be 45 minutes, but we just, we have so much to talk about we only get one week, one night a week with you guys. I'm sure there, there, if we wanted to, there's probably an option to, to do it more often, but for the time being, we, this is our one night. We always go long, but I appreciate the fact that you guys are, uh, are still here listening. Uh, wouldn't be able to do any of this without you guys. Just keep listening. Support our sponsors. Keep supporting the Blue Wire Network because this thing's growing like crazy. Me and Croc are having a, an awesome time with this. We talk all the time, even even outside the podcast. And like I said, now we're hanging out of games. So things are getting crazy. Um, but as always, thanks for being here. It's another week of Strike and Gold, and we are signing out. <laughs>